Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is one of the things that we do. Yeah. Thank you for joining us here. We had a Goal Buddy event this last weekend. It was fantastic. It was amazing. And can I just say... <laughs> that I wasn't there. <laughs> a, you weren't there. <laughs> One of the faces of Act Two. You have an obligation now. You I know. know. I have to defend myself. Can I? Can I Go offer on. <laughs> a public apology? Here's what happened. I think the day before, or two days before, I got a message from my one of my oldest friends that he was going to have a surprise birthday party for his fortieth. Oh. So I've known this guy for a long time. I'm like, oh man. So his wife messaged me, and I was going to message you. I messaged Dave. And I was going to message you about it and it would be like, okay, I have a situation. But it coincided with some unpredictable news that was kind of in your orbit. And there was a lot going on. And uh-huh. I was like, I'm not even going to bring this up to Tasha right now <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to. And I'm afraid of her right now. So I let it go. What the fuck? Why are you not coming to <laughs> And so I let it go and I figured, I got this. I got this. And then too much time had passed. And then I was like, okay, now I've made a fatal mistake and I haven't said anything. So now I have to figure out how I can make it in a very short amount of time because I have to get back by a certain time. And then it just got too far. And, and I was in the doghouse with a lot of people, you included Dave, other people. I fucked up. So that's my apology to act two and everyone else. All right, apology accepted. Really? No big deal. Uh, yes, podcast done. Fine. But it was awesome. I looked, You were missed. It, you it were missed. Awesome. We had we had a lot of fun. It was the first time we got to meet <sighs> since pandemic yeah, and it was like catching up on people. People have movies that are coming out soon. They are in writers rooms. They were just so happy drinking eating appetizers. It was great. I would have turned it up too. I would have come in there pretty hot. And you know what's cool is that, so I <laughs> I had this little system that, that everyone made fun of because it didn't work, um, where people put wrote their name on a ticket and put it in a little beer glass because we were, we were choosing goal buddies at random. Oh. And it didn't work because it just, the logic of it when you do that doesn't work. But as soon as people picked their goal buddy, like they paired off on their own. They were like, let's do this. Wait a minute. Like, I, they didn't even need any guidance from me. They just sat with their goal buddy and over a beer and they were like, so like, what do you need? How hard do you need me to be on you? Like, how often do you want to meet? Like they were going, people Wait. were ready for goal buddies. Did Dave do it? Yeah. Dave has another goal buddy and it's not you, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious right now? Is this true? Does he really? Damn it, I can't lie to you. No, he does not. He refused a goal, buddy, because really? he has you. I yes. honestly, you know, I was a little, I was a little, I was in a weird headspace before this podcast. I was about to cry. This was it. I was about to <laughs> you, break down. You looked, you, you looked real sad. <laughs> I can't lie to that face. <laughs> that was, that was, that was my, like hit by a truck. I don't know where to go. I can't get off this podcast because Josh's be life low point was about to be right now. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. No, well, he, he stayed true and faithful. Really? Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. So that's great. And in all, I wish I was there. I'm sorry. It was great. But you know what? One of the greatest parts were was, I don't know the right verb there. 
was that voluntarily three different writers came up to me and said, you know that George Saunders guy you keep (laughs) (laughs) quoting? They're like, I love that guy. I love that book you talked about. And it's like the best book on writing I've ever read. And I was like, thank you. I do wish Josh was here so he could hear this. (laughs) Well, guys, get ready for another George Saunders quote of the day. (laughs) The rest of the year. (laughs) Um, All right. Next time. Here's my question. Yeah. Next time, I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm just leading you on. Are we going to have a open to the public act two event? Yes. Wow. It's yeah. hard to it's hard to compete with with David H. Steinberg, who does his monthly writer meetups, which I think are absolutely amazing. I don't want to step on his toes. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. I think it's 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 time. I think so too. Where I I don't think it's I don't think we're stepping on his toes. I think we're just walking next to him. Oh, I see. Like arm in arm. Arm in arm with an occasional tap on his toe. (laughs) (laughs) My heel slipped a little. Oops, accidentally (laughs) tripped. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, Like he's got a great spot. Yeah. It's outdoors. It's nice. People come. No, I think think it'd be fun. A lot of Act 2 writers uh, love mentorship and love to talk to other writers who are coming out to like share their experiences too and i think that can be a big part of what our meetup will be mm-hmm. yes go to david h steinberg's for meeting other writers in the world and just like basic community but i think there's there's something valuable to like meeting professional writers who are doing it and talking to them about yeah. you know how they got into it and and, and what that's like so yeah. yes Look for that this year, people yeah. who live in Los Angeles. At the next at the next Act Two get together, come up to Tasha with all of your writing questions. <laughs> print out scripts, bring a pen. She'll fucking read them on the spot. Your note, give you notes. What's the theme? <laughs> That's what I mean. My note for all of it. But why did you write this? Mm-hmm. And the answer better not be because a producer told me to, and the market says this. <sighs> Well, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> today we are we have some this week's in writings, but we also found over the holidays, actually, I think it was that far back, we found this 10 indicators of a great screenplay mm-hmm. list that outstanding screenplays put out if you follow them on Instagram. They're fun. Yeah. And, you know, Josh and I hate lists. We, <laughs> I don't know why, but they just make us really angry. But in reading this, it's like, yes, this list is true, but it's, it's the way it's posed is maybe needs some context. So we thought we would just talk about this list. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about today. Okay. I love it. So I'm going to start with, you know what? This, isn't a, this is a newsy this week in writing. Yeah, newsies. A newsy. This segment that was around for one episode is back. <laughs> <laughs> so you had sent me this article saying that Netflix is following in Warner Brothers example and drops two completed movies, which yeah. is fucking crazy. It's called The Inheritance and Housewife. Those were the two mm-hmm. movies that got dropped. They were completed and now they're just not going to be released. And now, according to this article that I read, the directors and the producers, they have the option to now try to get the film set up somewhere else yeah. or released somewhere else. And this is just important because it's kind of scary that we're just in this time where yeah. we can do this. And like you said in the text message, you were, you were like, your film's like, like, like as a writer, and you and I kind of joke about this, that you get good news 
but it could still fall apart. You yeah. sign something, but it could still fall apart. You could be hired to write something, but it could still fall apart. A movie can go in production and it still falls apart. And now a movie can be completed yeah, and it still falls apart. Yeah. What are we doing? That's what, that's, I don't know. That's the newsy. Pa- panic is the first thing we're doing. <laughs> uh-huh. Of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's the, that. That's why. That's why it's a. It's a scary time. It feels like oh, if if we at least have a movie in the can, we're fine. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, that's not always been the case. Like I remember very early in my career, I met with a director who came onto one of my projects, and she was a fairly new director herself, and she shot an entire movie, like a medium-sized budget sci-fi movie. And then just because of the personalities involved, i.e. a producer who didn't like her, he decided to not release the movie Mm. just to spite her. And this stuff can happen. It's always been possible. I think just because it's it's been very rare that you know, big studios will do this because they're investing so much money. And so this we're here, we're seeing a lot of that, especially with HBO Max when it happened, because uh, when Batwoman was canned, it's like, whoa, wait a second. Like, that's a huge property. Why aren't you releasing that? And I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at this part of the business, sort of the business, business part of it. Um, you know, when it comes to monies and figures and stuff like that, it's, it's not my strong point. But from what I understand, you know, HBO Max did it because they were able to get a tax write-off for, you know, a loss yeah. for, for these movies. And then they're going to try and sell it elsewhere because the the streaming model is just kind of not working. Um, if you, you know, imagine that you pay $16 a month and that's the max you're going to pay to HBO Max is $16 a month. And it doesn't matter if they release Batwoman. You already have a subscription mm-hmm. to... Or maybe they... they you want to get HBO Max just because of Batwoman, fine, but that's still like there's a there's a ceiling to how much money they can make. Versus, say they release Batwoman in theaters, they can make hundreds of millions of dollars potentially, and then put it on the streamer and make even more money. So, like we're kind of going back to this cable model mm-hmm. a little bit, where oh oh yeah, it's really great to have advertisers. That's where we get so much money when we stream things. It's not on our subscription model. And so I think everyone's just kind of trying to figure out how to make more money because particularly Netflix, like they've reached their capacity of how many people in the world are subscribing to Netflix. Yeah. Like they can't really get that many more to make a big, big difference. So um, you'll start to see advertisers coming onto streaming now and it's going to go back to cable, I think. I Yeah, I think so too. It's funny because I watched a movie with my daughter the other day and it was on um, cable. Like I was on YouTube TV and they had commercials. And every time a commercial would come on, she was like, oh, like she was getting so <laughs> frustrated. And then it was like uh, there was a commercial for a toy. And then she wanted the fucking toy. And I was, I was just like, oh, this works. Classic. This is unbelievable. Oh, brings me back to the 80s. It totally. It was like, oh, dad, can I get that? It's like, you, no, you don't even know what that is. And by the way, those little action <laughs> figures don't actually fly. That's just the fucking commercial. But anyway. Did you say that to her? Did you break her heart like that? Uh, without dropping the F-bombs, yes. <gasps> so if Buzz Lightyear action figure yeah. was advertised, you'd be like, Buzz Lightyear doesn't actually fly. Well, when you put it like that, 
It doesn't sound great. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a part of me that the toys that she wants, like if I think they're super cool, then I will not say they can't fly. Oh, no. <laughs> Joshua. What, is this wrong? <laughs> is this... Is this parenting? <laughs> I don't know. What do I know? I just have a dog. If I can't have some fun with a toy, I don't know if we want it. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds fair. I'm writing this script again called Father Daughter Day, and I just realized I've basically turned into the father in Father Daughter Day. I'm like oh, this. No. I remember when you wrote that and you were the the daughter's point of view. You were the kid's point of view. I will, um, oh, when you first geez. started writing it. I was. I was the kid's point of view. I was like, get off me, parent. And now I'm the parent where I'm like, you're going to be doing this and you're going to be buying this. And <laughs> You are so irresponsible. Wow. I've Listen been writing to your this, father. <laughs> I've been writing this script for so long, I've turned into both characters. <laughs> That's why it'll be good. It'll be from the heart. It'll be done. I'm going to have an update on that on the next episode, by the way. Oh, good. I can't wait. Me too. Anyway. Yeah. It's scary times out there. Just keep your head down. Keep going. It's the best you can do. Real quick on yeah. the scary times. This was another This Week in Writing. Yeah. There was an article released that Tom Hanks and Robin Wright are going to be in a new Robert Zemeckis film, but they're basically completely embracing AI and going to be de-aged throughout this movie. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about AI on the past couple episodes and honestly this is a subject ai is something that i know we should constantly be thinking about but i can't think about it because once i do i actually get really worried about things yeah now more so than ever i feel like it's just something's gonna happen from a screenwriter's point of view and i'm i'm a little worried about it yeah as soon as you mentioned it my stomach started hurting all right let's not talk about that can I just say something that is going to make my stomach hurt even more, but I feel like I have to to this conversation? Yeah, for sure. In the writer's room last week, we were kind of stuck at something. Uh-oh. Like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And a writer joked, let me ask AI what it would do. And I was like, don't you fucking open that computer. <laughs> you stay away from that right now. Did, did, did the writer do it? I mean, he might have at home. He might be doing it at home and then bringing in those pitches. I don't know. But I don't want to think about it. Can you do me a favor at the end of, oh my God, there's huge news that I forgot to even bring up, but let me just say at the end of your writer's room, sorry, yeah. I just got really excited. <laughs> at the end of your writer's room, can you please just ask your room, say, listen, we're done. We're moving on. But can I get, is any, did anyone bring in a pitch that I okayed that came from AI? Oh God. Put, put the answer in this little jar. Yes or no, and then you pull it out. Fuck, Tasha, I buried the lead. I buried the entire lead of this entire okay. episode. I don't mind. You had huge news. Critical role. I'm really excited. Mighty Nine. Yeah. It got announced. Yeah. I I said to you, we have to talk about this. This is should be in the entire episode of the podcast, and now we're like 15 minutes into this thing, and I haven't even brought it up yet. Yeah, our writing the Mighty Nine show. Which is a uh, uh, critical role uh, branch off. Yes. If you know Critical Role, they are a group of nerdy-ass voice actors who play Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. And for the last, like, 
four years or something, they've been doing a campaign called the Mighty Nine on YouTubes, the YouTubes and the Twitches. And it's usually like a four hour long episode. There's 144 episodes of just these guys and girls playing D&D. And it's so good and it's so engaging and it's so awesome. And I'm somehow working with some brilliant other writers to turn this into an animated series at Amazon. It's going to be fucking awesome. This is your territory. I know this is their... I know that they created it. I've heard some episodes. I have family members who have talked about Critical Role before, and I had never heard of it. Yeah, That's- I remember as soon as I told you I was working on this, you would send me pictures of, of people out in the world who were wearing Critical Role sh- shirts and... Um, your is it your brother-in-law? Who is it that's like a huge fan? Yeah, my 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 brother-in-law. Yeah, he was he told me about. It. He's like, I, I listen to this one stream podcast. I don't remember YouTube or something. It's called Critical Role. This and that. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then when you were like, I'm gonna work on this show called Critical Role. I was like, this sounds weirdly familiar. <laughs> and then a few months later, I saw him again at like Christmas or something. And then it yeah. all like clicked. And I was like, oh my god, I I I think I know about this. But I couldn't say anything, so I didn't. And say I remember anything. you met Matt Mercer with me. I did. And didn't you send <sighs> him a picture with you and Matt Mercer? <laughs> yeah. Without getting too far into this, I was with you. We were with two people, and I've never asked in my history of living in Hollywood. I have never asked anybody for any pictures, and I asked two people four pictures. One was Matt and one was someone else. And they were for other people. And, and <laughs> both of the people that got the pictures were so fucking excited. It's, it's so cool. No, I'm, I'm a huge nerd for, for Mighty Nine. I was a huge fan before I ever got the job. And I remember when I first met with uh, Sam Regal, who is the first person on Critical Role that I met with. Um, and he's an EP on the show. I remember finishing that call and going like running to Paul and being like, I'm not getting the job. Like I was such a fangirl in that call. He probably thinks I'm a crazy person. Oh no, I have just ruined my chance. And uh, you know, it ends up being a boon <laughs> to be a fan of something yeah. um, because you know the material so well and hopefully can do it, do it justice. I'm yeah. terrified. What? I'm excited and terrified because like with Tomb Raider, like I only have myself to disappoint and that's good at least you you hold yourself to a high standard so if you make sure you don't disappoint yourself then that's a good thing yeah we're all trying guys no and it's cool because there's such a huge fan base that yeah you'll disappoint a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) not just you (laughs) oh god (laughs) no it's gonna be great this is oh this is if honestly the projects that you've worked on are like if if you haven't worked on something that isn't Tasha, if that makes any sense, in recent memory. Yeah. Like they're everything you this is like, oh my God, this I know this person and these are the perfect projects for her. Yeah. And therefore you will kill them. I've been so lucky. Yeah. Thank you. I hope so. So one day we're gonna do just a total critical role episode. I'm gonna ask mm-hmm. you questions about it. And maybe yeah. we can even get people caught up on critical role before it is you guys released. watch it. It's so good. It's so good. Just if you're driving anywhere, put it on because it's also a podcast. They do a live show that you can watch and then you can also listen to it on it the is. podcast. It's unbelievably engaging. It's um, a so incredible good. storytelling. I'm, Thank I'm just, you for saying that. It is. I listen <laughs> it is, to I it. It is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
Okay. Thank you. Yeah. 99. Woohoo. Yeah. Damn. Buried the lead. All right. I have another this week in writing that I'm nervous to talk about, but I think is important to talk about. So I'm going to talk about <laughs> it. Uh, so an article came out fairly recently that did not mention my name at all, but was about a project that I worked on. And I actually didn't see it. Like someone sent me the article and she was so angry in reading this article. And I was like, oh, am I going to be angry reading this? And I was less angry when I read it and more sad. But the the basic tenor of the article was Tasha's script was bad (laughs) and I had to rewrite it. And um, that's the only reason this movie made it to production was because I rewrote a bad script by Tasha. And that's not actually how things happened. And so at first I was just sad and upset and all the emotions you sort of would expect to feel when you read that because it's just like a series of half truths and untruths. And and then I took a step back and was like, okay, what can I learn from this as a writer? Because this is not the first time it's going to happen. Or sorry, it's not the last time it's going to happen. And I've definitely heard other writers talk about experiences they've had with similar situation. It happens all the time. So like, what is the lesson to be learned if something like this happens? And so I just want to kind of talk around how this all went down. Like I sent the the article to my agent and was like, what the fuck is this? Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And their response was, it's clear that the director just kind of wanted a, a piece about them and about the, the, coming upcoming movie it's kind of a a puff piece situation like don't be too worried because your name's not mentioned i'm like yeah but they know who it was (laughs) and you know sure enough the next day all over the place was tasha hughes script is was was the terrible one Mm -hmm. um and they're like well tasha you know you you can get a publicist if you want and you can come out with your own defense and your own articles and as the movie comes out we can you know go to war about it I was like, eh, that doesn't really sound like me. <laughs> it's not really my bag. And they're like, okay, well, then I think you just suck it up, you know? Yeah. And we, like, we know the truth. And a lot of, like, the script that this person was kind of trashing in the article has been sent out to dozens and dozens of people. It's helped me get jobs. And, they like, they've read the script. They know that it's good. So just kind of let it go. And you're like, but this is my name being, like, smeared through the mud. And just let it go was kind of the like end result because the the only like practical actions you can take at that point is like revenge essentially. And uh, it was just, it was just super interesting. So, you know, the recourse that I took is I, I spoke with the producer on it who I had a really good relationship with. I really loved working with him and everyone else on the project. And I was like, you know, honestly, it just kind of hurts my feelings that this article was allowed to come out and that there's like no mention of the truth of what happened. And his response was exactly as my agents. It's like, it was kind of out of our hands. Right. And you know that we love working with you and we'd work with you again in a heartbeat. And that's sort of the truth to hang on to, I guess. No, <laughs> so for sure. another, I think, I feel like another lesson learned is when you see articles out there, like realize that, because I've definitely been on the other side of it. Like I'll read an article and be like, oh, like those writers fucked up that script. Right. And this director like really brought it home or, or like vice versa, whatever the, like in any of these kinds of articles, 
realize that there's a POV in there that's not being acknowledged, yeah. you think? Yeah, it was just a super interesting experience that felt worth talking about. It's very worth talking about because it can happen to anybody at any time, you know, and, and if someone wants to say something and give their version of the truth, some people might believe it, but I think ultimately, you know, you were like you were saying, you know, with those producers wanting to work with you, so much of Hollywood is reputation and kind of history. And I think that that usually prevails in the long run because the inside kind of knows, hey, you know, that was a slanted article. There yeah. Some, some things were missing. Yeah. And I'm happy I took the chill route in the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this would be a very different story if this was Josh. I feel like... <laughs> Like every everything would be burned to the ground at this point. <laughs> not true. Not true. Complete bullshit. Not true. An entire episode of the podcast would be re- like refuting the article. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, it's it's uh yeah yeah yeah. I've taken the high road on many scenarios. Uh, not to that the extent that you have, but so much of it is because I have to talk to you before I go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, burn burn everything down. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you did it. You did the right thing. I hope so. Yeah, for sure. And I'll release the episode refuting the entire article and line by line what <laughs> my problems are. It's so tempting to do that, by the way. It's so no, tempting. It's, but it's no, fine. there's no need to engage. All right. That's smart of you. Okay, well, should we get to our actual podcast episode Uh, today? Yeah, I guess. All right, 10 indicators of a great screenplay. And I think what bothered me about this list, and Mm. we'll go through it in a second, is that I'm going to speak for myself, but I know Josh shares the same feeling. When we're coming up in the business, there's all these books we read. There's all these teachers who try to teach us how to write screenplays. And there's there's a disconnect between how the books kind of teach you how to write and how yeah. writing is actually done. Meaning in books, often they'll kind of get ahead of itself, right? Well, they'll say, um, you know, like in this section of the script, there has to be this dramatic rise and this dramatic low point. And you, you try to write your script around this rather than just writing your script, mm-hmm. if that makes any kind of sense. And it's hard to write around what you think should happen. I remember so many of the screenwriting books I read when I was coming up would always reference some of my favorite movies like Back to the Future and Indiana Jones. And those are just, they're perfectly written movies. And they would they would point to how they arced and how the drama would peak here and then go down here and how it would build to this point in this reveal and then it would kind of have a denouement. And you're like, yeah, oh my God, I need to write my screenplay so it fits and, and it does all these things. But as soon as you start writing to basically plot essentially or to these like fake rises that don't necessarily work organically with the idea that you have you get lost in the weeds very quickly so we're going to go through this 10 indicators of a great screenplay but our point of view is this is after you've written the draft yeah so after you've written the draft then you can look to this list and start using this as a jumping off point to revise your script totally i and we've talked about this for instance, if you write a first draft, I always look at that as like an outline draft. I know it's like the vomit draft, et cetera. Like that's perfect. 
And yes, I think that's where this list comes into play. So I agree with yeah. what you just said. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll start. Number start one, it. the script grabs you from the first scene. So this is very true. The, your first scene should be hugely impactful. It should punch you in the face in, what, in whatever genre you're writing. And if it's a drama, it punches you in the face in the dramatic way. If it's an action movie, it punches you in the face in an action way. Yeah. So when you finish your screenplay, and I do this all the time, is go back to your first scene and can you rework? Just focus on that. If Just like cut it out of the rest of the script and just focus on this. How can you make this surprising, engaging, so that as soon as the lights go down and this movie pops up in front of these people's eyeballs, they're like, holy shit, what movie am I watching? I am so excited. And just rework it. I think it's a really great way of revising your your opening. Yeah, I had a, uh, I talked to a producer who uh, said, you know, in the first few pages, you need to declare what your movie is. Mm-hmm. And that term always stuck with me because I believe it. You do have to declare what kind of movie we are getting ourselves into. Do you like yeah. that term? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Like, just to kind of break down what that means. Like, if you're if you're writing a huge Expendables-style movie, don't open your movie as if it's a slow, dramatic love story. Declare yeah. that your movie is a fucking action movie and it's bonkers and it's awesome. Yeah. And by the way, it could be... It doesn't even have to open with an explosion. It could just open with Stallone, uh, you know, just walking through his house, but he goes into the closet, and in the closet you see, you know, 500 machine guns, a couple grenades, and, like, two machetes, and you're like, what the fuck? And then you see his old stuff hanging or something. You're just declaring what you're getting yourself into. That's a cool opener. Especially if the opener is, like, just a normal average dude. Yeah. And he looks like he might be an accountant. And then he goes into his closet. <laughs> and then you just see it all. You know what? I'm going to write a movie based off of that opening. <laughs> it's a great opener. <laughs> Number two. I think you're going to I think you're gonna bump on this. Sparse, simplistic writing style. Are, Are you, you judging me? Is that why? No, I just I'm, feel I'm like they're... really it's... loquacious. <laughs> no, it's just that your writing style... It, Declaring that someone's writing style should be simplistic, I feel, yeah. is not probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Although, I will say, I agree with you. Your style is your style. That's part of your voice. But the read is so important. The read is what's going to get this movie moved up the chain in yeah. at Universal, up to the boss of Universal who decides they want to greenlight your movie. The read is so important. So sparse and simplistic, I will say, more like... Trim into the point, like tight. It's yeah. Like the style can be whatever your voice is. So simplistic is the wrong word there, but I think succinct and tight, so that you're not adding extra words. You're not the sentences are not confusing. They're kind of to the point, even though they're fun and they're whoever you are. Yeah. They're to the point, so that when I'm reading it, I don't get lost in the paragraph, and I'm like, wait, what's happening again? I have to go back. Or you're not giving me too many ideas within a paragraph. That's always something I see a lot of. So in that way, simplistic and sparse, I get. So do a pass, and I do this all the time with all of my scripts, do a pass on just the read. So you're done doing all the other stuff, do a pass on the read. Where can you trim? If you see a big chunk of action description, go through that. How can you make that simpler, more to the point? I think that's a good number two. You know what I'm doing? I'm going to rewrite this list. I'm writing down what we're saying. Number one, declare your movie. And then number two, what was it? Trim in to the point? Trim in 
Yeah. Okay. Trim and tight. Trim and tight. <laughs> make your, it's like my make your writing tight. High and tight. Okay. Number three. Go. The story evolves. It's not given. Okay. Okay. So the way I interpret this is when you go through your scenes, is it hard for your characters to get what they want? Is it hard for them to come to the new realization that they are having in the scene or to get the uh, critical intel in the scene? Is it easy for them? Do they, does someone just kind of give it to them in the story or do they have to work for it? And I think it's important that in every scene, your characters have to work for something. Everything is earned. So I think that's what this number three means. The story evolves. It's not given to you. Everything is earned. I like it. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said. Okay. Number four, it has a sense of purpose. Theme. 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 Yeah, that's it. What's the theme? What's the theme? So how do you how do you go back into your script that's done and revise it to this number four, that it has a sense of purpose? Let's say the theme of our movie is forgiveness. Is that a good theme, Tasha? Do we like that for it's now? Great. It's beautiful. Great. I think you look, go back into each scene and kind of look at if scenes are playing within the world of forgiveness, meaning... Does a character have a total hang up and they're stubborn and they can't forgive somebody and they, in the scene, I'm talking to you, but you and I are getting into a fight because I can't move on from the smallest problem that we just had. Mm -hmm. And is the next scene in the world of forgiveness? And, and it doesn't have to be a complete one-to-one, just like hit the nail over the head on every single scene. I just feel like it has to kind of circle around the theme of a movie. So you're kind of playing in the world of forgiveness. Yeah, and, and I would add to that that a sense of purpose also comes from your characters moving towards that goal. So if it's they yes. need to learn forgiveness, then in that scene, they may not, yeah, like exactly as you said, there may not be forgiving someone in that scene. Or yeah, it's it's a it's a minor case where you're at a gas station mart and they, the person feels slighted. And like the, the scene exists to serve a greater purpose it's not just there to get a character from point a to point b like can it be doing something boom i love it yeah yeah okay okay that's a tough one but it's a valuable one yeah number five enters a scene late and leaves early Ooh, i like this one this one is really hard for me me too and i have to pay attention to it all the time but it's super super valuable so what that means is Basically, make a scene as dramatic as possible. And usually that means, for example, you don't need to show Josh walking through the door into a room and then having an argument with his wife and then him leaving and getting in the car and driving to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need the bookend to that. You need Josh to be in the room having a fight with his wife and then leave that scene on an emotional question or an emotional high or something that makes the audience lean in and go, oh gosh, what's going to happen now? Or, oh gosh, that poor guy. And I don't mean that you take out the logic of it. Like, well, then how the hell did Josh get into the room? Obviously you, you need to understand how Josh is in this place. Um, but look at your scenes. And again, I do this all the time after I've written something. It's like, okay, can this scene actually end earlier? Yeah. Maybe it ends on like two lines before I actually end it. And that's a cooler out. Like, what's the cooler out of your scene? And then if your characters don't start talking about the most engaging thing until 
maybe halfway down the page of this scene, maybe you can get in there sooner so that it's just, you're just taking out the real meat of it and throwing away the bread. Totally. I think about Back to the Future all the, (laughs) throwing away the bread. I think about Back to the Future all the time of the, the, the brilliance of each scene is so important in that movie. Mm -hmm. I think they do the greatest job of like, start late, leave early, and every scene is packed with important information. Yeah. Yeah. I think oftentimes as writers, we tend to want to wrap up a scene before leaving it. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake. I think the way an audience moves through the drama of your movie is that you leave them without an an answer, like just a little bit of a question at the end of each scene. Or again, you leave them at a sort of high moment of feeling, emotion, drama, so yeah, I it just in the script I was revising just yesterday, a note I got back was, can we end it here? And it was like two lines earlier than I left it. And I noticed that what I was trying to do was have my character kind of like sum up something that they were learning in that scene. Right. And instead, just have them be like told the thing that they're learning and go off on their expression of like, holy shit, my mind just got blown. Right. You know, like that's more interesting. I love that. I, one last thing, not to hit, like, keep talking about this, but I think about rom-coms as we were talking about this. In rom-coms, if it's a meet cute, for instance, or, you know, if a couple, they meet in a parking lot, they start having a conversation. It cuts to that conversation in a restaurant. And then it cuts to that exact conversation. It's like a continuous conversation that takes place in all these different locations. Mm -hmm. Logically, this makes no fucking sense. But in a movie, it makes all the sense in the world. (laughs) Like there's no reason. Like I'm like, hey, Tasha, you know what my favorite pizza is? Anchovy. And then we cut to, you know, on top of a building. And you're like, you like anchovies? It just doesn't make any sense, but it works Uh in rom-coms for some odd reason. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know why. Anyway, all right. Little and hidden exposition. I don't know what this means. Little <laughs> and hidden exposition. The fuck does that mean? So I take it to mean get rid of your fucking exposition. You don't need it or find a way to hide it. Right? So, so just no di- so all dialogue, no exposition. So in your dialogue, are you having characters explain too much? Oh. Go through do a dialogue pass. Go through and be like, "Oh, here is where my character is." <sighs> Telling us exactly what the bad guy is going to do or what the plan is for the the mission we're about to do. Can we break it up in an interesting way? Can I mean, look at Ocean's Eleven? They do a great job. Of like, here's the heist breakdown. But I'm really engaged because I'm watching different cuts of things and I'm being taken around the world through different points of views as I'm the heist is being broken down for me. Yeah. Is there a way to visually dramatically do what your exposition is doing, but without a character just saying it. But if you, know, you have you just, to say it, yeah, do it very briefly. The little exposition is, is this part. Do it very briefly. Do it as succinctly as possible and make it feel organic to that person's voice. You gave me this note recently, a couple weeks Did ago. I? Yeah, on the uh, that one script I had. It was the, the witch script. Uh-huh. And you're like, you know, there's a lot of dialogue which is fine, but I feel like what you can do is maybe move this outside so then you can see the town and you can walk through the town and, and you're not describing X, Y, and Z. Like you, you see it mm-hmm. as it's, as instead of uh, talking about it. Yeah, because then it felt like your characters were organically speaking about what 
we, the audience, were watching and visualizing rather than two characters talking about something that we could visualize otherwise. Which, by the way, is such an obvious thing. It's just so silly that I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't understand. It's probably. hard because you... Your first instinct often as a writer is to do the exposition bit. And so, sometimes you need to just to like, get it out. And that's kind of the fun to me of doing a pass afterwards is like, oh yeah, this was super exposition heavy. How can I get this out in like a fun interaction between my characters instead? And oftentimes it comes from like on the nose dialogue, for instance, that's where exposition finds itself and, and, and rears its ugly head without you really realizing it. Um, so if a character is just saying kind of what's obviously on their mind, that's also exposition. How do you hide that? How do you do, how do you make them insecure about that thing instead of being super on the nose about how they're feeling? So it's, it's hard, but that's kind of the fun part of revising. I feel like. I agree. Number seven, dialogue is short and to the point. Yeah. I mean, the, sure. I, I, Yes and no, right? Like you obviously don't want your characters to ramble because that's not interesting. But sometimes your character, like that's their that's their personality is a lot of fucking dialogue and it's fun. I mean, like Martin McDonough scripts, for instance, I am here for their big chunky speeches. I'm down with it. Yeah, yeah. This is this kind of ties into like the exposition number six, I feel like. Like I feel this is just more maybe don't get rambly and yeah. meander with the dialogue. Make sure yes. it's true to the character. Yes. I do find often, I do this all the time, where your dialogue, sometimes the character repeats themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. So go through the chunkier bits of your dialogue and can that character say the same thing in a shorter period of time or in a more succinct way? But stay true to their voice, but can they get it across easier? Because that's when it feels like it's meandering. I would say if you look at a Martin McDonough script and the big chunky bits of dialogue they all have in their scenes, every sentence has a purpose in that bit of dialogue. It's not, it's not meandering. It's not repeating himself or adding ums, oohs, e, like things that just sort of sound real, but you're just tagging on to make it sound like real dialogue. Like it, every sentence has a point. So if you can get your dialogue for every sentence to have its own point, that's what number seven is. And that's a revision thing. You're probably not going to find that in your first pass. That's true. Number eight, conflict within the protagonist. Yeah. What? Yeah. This entire fucking script, right? Like you have conflict and with your protagonist. Yeah. Within the protagonist, I think is the important word. Like, like having an internal battle. stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Go back and make sure that every scene... Your protagonist is, has some kind of emotional insight, dialogue, progression. Yeah, I actually feel backslide. like this also kind of ties into theme, like making sure that, like, you know, if, you're, if, if there's an internal battle with your protagonist, it's probably related to the theme of the movie. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. That's also Hopefully. an indicator of a great screenplay. <laughs> your protagonist is on theme. Go. Number nine. Number nine. Plenty of unexpected choices. I love it. This would like this is also obvious but hard somehow because when you're writing, you like it's so hard to write <laughs> that you kind of just get sometimes you get your characters there with the least amount of resistance because you just need to get it out. You just need to get them to where they need to go in the story. 
And then you kind of forget, oh, along this way, my character probably could have had three or four obstacles in their way that they would have to overcome to get to point B. So maybe it's not as linear of a journey as I have written in this first draft. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but this is really difficult because it is your, you as a human being have to put yourself in a different mindset and make a different choice. And like you literally as a writer have to be a different person. Meaning if I was going to go, if I was going to go left here, you have to make the decision of why you're going to go right when that's not part of like who you are as a person, as a writer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, why would I jump out of the window right now? That's the most illogical thing ever. How can your characters make unexpected choices to surprise the audience? And then also what unexpected obstacles can you throw in their way? Yes. And there's nothing better than when you surprise yourself writing, where you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's so hard. I think one way to do it, because again, I struggle with it, is recently I was writing a scene where a character has to break into like a base camp, basically. Mm. And the easy thing to do is my character breaks into the base camp and it's like tense and scary, but they eventually get to the thing that they are looking for, like the person that they're seeking inside Mm. the base camp that they're trying to like steal out um, or kidnap out. But if I see this scene where my character sneaks and yes, it's tense to get there, but they eventually get there at the end of the scene, maybe A, I make them make an unexpected choice, which is very cool. Um, Or, and or, something happens that fucks up their plan so that it's not, it's literally not a straight line for them to get to their objective in the base camp. And for some reason, that's, that comes to me oftentimes in like the second, third passes of things. Same. I don't know. It's writing sucks. (laughs) Writing is so difficult. All right, number 10. Number 10. Surprising. Surprising. Oh, oh, it's me? It's you? Hey, it's Wait, go ahead. Go ahead. That was... Is it me? You know what, Tasha? Our reading of number 10 was surprising <laughs> yet inevitable. I think it's you. It is me. Surprising <laughs> yet inevitable ending. Number 10. Duh, though, right? Duh. Yeah, no shit. Hey. I hate lists. Screenwriter. Can you make an ending that is surprising for all of us, but also exactly what it should be? Thank you. (laughs) Easy. That's why lists are so dumb. It's like, okay, yeah. uh, How do I go about doing that? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Yes. That's the thing, right? Like these, these lists. God, I love lists. They're, they're, (laughs) they're, they're, they're so obvious, but they're, good to go back to sometimes and be like yeah i need a better ending yeah if you can if you can go there after reading oh is this surprising of course you think it's surprising you wrote it you're gonna need someone else to tell you that it's not surprising the the kind of writer i am is i almost always have the beginning and i almost always have the ending and it's the middle that i struggle with yeah and something that i do in my own writing is when i get to the ending is there a way for me to add more obstacles to get there? Is there a way for me to have an unexpected turning point just before this ending happens? Because in a, in a way, like this is right. Stupid list <laughs> is right in that we're very savvy 
story goers, story readers, watchers, all those things. So we kind of know that the ending is going to happen. It's going to be a happy ending. The bad guys are going to get caught. The the person in the slasher film is going to get away. We sort of know these are going to happen, but how can we just be like, oh shit, the audience is like, how is it going to happen? Or maybe it's not, maybe they're going to actually surprise me and the girl's not going to get away from the slasher guy at the end and the slasher guy is going to win the day. You know, like if people are asking that and the rev up to your ending, that means you did a good job. So look at your ending, maybe the last... 25 pages or so that would be like your last act maybe even the last 10 pages and just how can you maybe make it a bit more unexpected a little bit more twists and turns to what's Mm going to happen yeah perfect (sighs) writing is hard man (laughs) (laughs) writing is very hard well that's what we got that's it Another just just do those and you'll have a great screenplay. (laughs) Yeah, just listen to that list right there. Well, (laughs) it's a great list. I feel like we just had to go over it and we're resistant to lists, but we also love lists. Yeah. Surprising, but inevitable. (laughs) All right. Quote of the day. And you know who it's gonna be from. (sighs) A writer's flaws (laughs) are what he has to work with. To get any forward momentum, I have to make stories that have drama, which for me often means putting some overt threat in there. And I'm not subtle. To make threat and thereby drama, I will just, you know, create a kindergarten teacher and then introduce an approaching Mongol horde. Wow. (laughs) In the midst of a crisis is where we get the true measure of a character and thus some new feeling about human tendency. George Saunders. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two Podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.